Hey everyone, welcome to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast, a podcast dedicated towards helping you stay healthy so you can stay on the golf course and not in the clubhouse. We will be covering all things golf, from fitness, performance, injury recovery, instruction, and everything else in between. I am your host, Dr. Russ Manalastis. I am a board-certified sports physical therapist and strength coach based out of Rochester, New York. Our goal with this podcast is to help you play your best golf yet while doing so without limitations. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Russ. Today, we are joined by Alex Ehlert. Alex has a background in kinesiology, exercise physiology, and is a PhD candidate studying sport and exercise performance at Old Dominion University. Alex has spent a lot of time researching physical qualities and traits that affect golf performance, which can be a huge avenue for our listeners here. He's also a former collegiate golfer and now a men's uh, volunteer golf coach at UNC Greensboro, where he played. Alex, welcome to the show, man. We're excited to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Alex, I'm, I'm really interested to kind of hear your background. And, and obviously, you, it sounds like you've seen a lot of things, have done a lot of different things kind of in your, your education background, but also, you know, obviously in your, your sport background as well. So maybe kind of just tell us a little bit about your background in terms of the education, where you went to school, and ultimately your journey that has led you to kind of pursuing your PhD in sport performance. Yeah, so I ended up playing college golf at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, where I'm now a volunteer coach. And I majored in kinesiology with an emphasis on sports medicine. Because like all college golfers, I wanted to turn pro, um, right. but I figured if I can't turn pro, if I'm not good enough, then maybe I'll go to physical therapy school or sure. uh, become an orthopedic uh, PA or something. Right. And really what happened is I fell in love with exercise physiology and particular the professor at the time is a really well-known researcher in the area. And he kind of took me under his wing and showed me a lot uh, around the lab and, and had me get involved in research. And I ended up staying on for a master's working for him in exercise physiology. Nice. And then during that master's, I did a bunch of research with anywhere from clinical populations to competitive cyclists. Uh, I did my thesis actually with soccer goalkeepers, fitness testing and that. But because I was a golfer, I, I started digging into the golf side of things took a year off because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And <laughs> I taught anatomy and physiology at a small university for, for about a year and a half and then decided I wanted to get a PhD. And so now I'm at Old Dominion University studying pretty much sport physiology with golf, but also some endurance athlete research as well. Nice. And how much long do you have, Alex? Yeah, so I'm pretty much done with coursework. Tomorrow is my last like assignment for my last course pretty much. So I've got a few projects and I've got comps, big basically exam I have to finish in May or June. And then all next year will be my dissertation. So I'm hoping to have one year left when I graduate, but we'll see how it goes. Right, right. So, you know, maybe kind of tell us about your background with golf, right? So obviously, you know, you playing collegiately at UNC at Greensboro. Maybe kind of tell us your, your experience with, you know, did you start at a young age? Did you start late in life? Like kind of tell us your path to how you ultimately, one, ended up playing collegiate golf, but also your, your path to get there. Yeah, so I've been playing golf since literally I could walk. My family was a huge golf family. So my older brother's a really good player himself. My dad was a big golfer. So like literally since I was two or three, I was swinging some sort of golf club. I played a bunch of other stuff growing up, but by the time around middle school, high school, golf was definitely the priority. I became a pretty good junior player, but then I had one really good summer, and that's when I started getting a few offers from places and wanted to stay somewhat close to home. So sure. UNC Greensboro was a good choice. And all of their players for the last few years 
have been from North Carolina. So we all kind of know each other going sure, in. Sure. But yeah, and then in college, I had a couple good tournaments here or there, but by about junior year, I, I realized I, I competed against guys like Brooks Kepka and Jordan right. Spieth and Justin Thomas. And right. you, you see some of the scores they're putting up on these courses. And <laughs> I was pretty quick to realize that I didn't have a chance at competing with them. <laughs> so figured the academic route was a better way to go. Sure, 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 sure. And again, too, I think it's cool that, you know, you have the experience to kind of see and compete against those guys. And now you see them at the, the highest level. I mean, it's pretty special to kind of, I'm sure, see that in person as well. Yeah, it's weird. I'm getting to the age where like a lot of the top guys in the PGA Tour, I played junior golf or college right. golf against. And right. uh, yeah, so I'll look back on the one time I beat Daniel Berger in a round of golf. And <laughs> <laughs> he beat me in the tournament and beat me every other time I played against him. But uh, I can always look back at that and say at some point I beat him in a round. There you go. That's you hang your hat on that, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, you know, looking back at, to let's say your collegiate golf days and maybe, maybe kind of take us through, now, obviously, you being in the fitness realm and the performance realm, tell us maybe some of the stuff that you saw or maybe you experienced from a training standpoint when you were playing college golf. Was the training, you know, something that, you know, looking at it now, especially now when you're talking about some of the research, the training that you did in college or the performance stuff that you were doing was, you know, looking back at it now, is there something that maybe you would have preferred to have compared to, let's say, when you were doing it at, at, at the time? It's a really good question. And a lot of the recommendations I give now are stuff I wish I knew back then. Right. Um, it's hindsight's 2020. So right, right. I, I think I was lucky from a training perspective. I, I didn't really do any training before college, any structured training. It was right before college when I started getting in the weight room. So I wish I had started earlier with that. Sure. Just so by the time I got uh, into the weight room in college, I had a good foundation of how to do these lifts. And I, I felt like I was a little behind the ball. Sure. But we had a really good strength coach uh, that I worked with one-on-one -on -one quite a bit. And, and I gained a ton of distance and, and got really strong and really uh, improved a lot in over the course of two or three years. Uh, so from a training perspective, I was lucky. But in terms of like warm-ups and nutrition and sleep was a big one. I didn't get right. nearly enough sleep, just the little things. And then a lot of it growing up is like I had instilled in me like more is always better when it comes to practice and training. And yeah. so I wish I had learned quality over quantity a little bit. Sure, sure. I would hit golf balls still, try to make my hands bleed. And that wasn't always the best <laughs> way to go. Right. And I think, too, there's something to be said about, you know, the, the whole idea of you know, quantity over quality versus where it should be the other way around. Right. When yeah. you talk about you know, improving or enhancing certain things, I think, you know, more isn't necessarily better. We just say better is better, right? So, yeah, exactly. so I think, you know, looking back at your experience and when we, when we talk to some people that play college golf or, or currently doing it, you know, they look at their experience and they say, well, what are some of the, what's the, some of the low-hanging fruit that they're missing? And it's maybe talking about just recovery, sleep, nutrition, hydration, all these different things that I think have a tendency to fall by the wayside when you're in the thick of it, right? And being in college and sometimes, you know, being, you know, having youth on your side, you have a tendency to be a little bit more invincible, right? But now looking back at things, I think you can kind of highlight some of the stuff that hopefully you're doing from a research standpoint to kind of bring that, bring that literature and bring that research up to speed so that people are aware of this stuff is really, really important in terms of, well, not only can being able to perform, but also perform for an extended amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's my goal. And it is tough when you're in the thick of things. And a lot of these little behaviors like getting enough sleep or eating right or working out, you don't see like the immediate benefits. 
Yeah. Uh, it's kind of the cumulative uh, benefits over the course of years and right. over the course of a career. And so that can be tough at the time where it's sure. like, well, why do I need to get eight hours of sleep before a tournament or something? Right. I'll be right. fine. I'll have a cup of coffee in the morning or why do I need to be working out three to four times a week over the course of five, six years? And if you don't see those immediate benefits, but yeah, looking back, it's a lot easier to see where I went wrong and hopefully help uh, yeah. kind of the future generation not make that same mistake. Yeah. And I think the, the looking at the long-term game of that, like people want that short-term kind of quick fix, right? Like, Hey, I want to hit the ball further. I want to, I want to be more powerful. And you know, we know that that doesn't happen overnight, right? That takes time. And it, not only does it take time, but it takes effort and it takes consistency in order to get there, right? So, you know, I think it's important to kind of just highlight that, you know, if you want to do that, you need to put in the work, right? And when you put in the work, you usually will see those, those you see the fruits of your labor kind of come to fruition when you start to, you know, obviously put some time into it, invest in obviously your body and not just, hey, how do we get faster, bigger and stronger? Like you need to invest in your body. You need to work on some of the recovery aspects of being able to not only train, to train consistently. I think that's something that we, we as I think younger kids, but maybe even now the, the younger generation, they have a tendency to miss there too. Yeah. And a lot of what I push for golfers to do is not complicated. It's almost deceivingly simple. Um, yeah but it just takes a little bit of hard work and consistency and patience. Huh. And that's the tricky part where you have an 18 year old golfer that wants to make it to the next level now and win tournaments. Now yeah. Yeah. Um, it can be kind of hard to instill that. Absolutely. No question about it. So, you know, obviously, you know, we know that your background is, is heavily kind of weighed towards kind of the research side of things. And I want to kind of highlight that a little bit so we can kind of just, I think, tell the listeners just how important, you know, as much as golf is like we talked about even before we started recording golf is a field sport and it's very subjective based on, you know, how you're hitting the ball and looking at ball fight and all these different things. I think utilizing some of the research that's available to us can go a long way in helping improve performance, whatever that performance is, whether it's on the course, um, physically, mentally, whatever it may be. So, you know, maybe kind of tell us your philosophy when it comes to, you know, you know, your training aspects of thing, but also maybe kind of implementing some of the research that you are well aware of and how you can kind of implement that now with maybe people that you work with or maybe just, you know, trying to educate the public. Yeah, a lot of what I look at is um, when you're looking at the research, I try to see where there's commonalities between what works in kind of the practical real world and then what we see in the research. And when you're checking both, both of those boxes, that's kind right. of a good place to start. Um, uh, in terms of like when, when I'm looking across all of the research, my own experience and training myself, but also others, what I've seen come out of other coaches, the, the strength and conditioning side, generally the goal is get strong and powerful and become more robust, meaning you're better at tolerating stress over time. And the general approach is pretty simple. Usually it's address obvious limitations when it comes to flexibility or mobility or aerobic fitness. And then get strong, get powerful, and then learn to transfer it to the golf swing. Um, so that's where things like super speed sticks or just swinging a golf club faster than normal every once in a while can come into play. And it looks a lot more like training for other sports than gets passed around a lot. And, and yeah. when you look across all of the research, but also what's working in the real world, that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, uh, It just takes a little bit of hard work and some time like we were talking about. Yeah, I think when people think about training specifically for the golfer, they think that you know, everything has to look like the golf swing, right? Where we know doing the basics, squatting, hinging, deadlifting, you know, lunging, whatever it may be, upper body work, you know, all these 
things that you're doing from a regular training standpoint can be transferable to the sport of golf. It doesn't necessarily need to be golf specific. Now, yes, we'll work on qualities to work on rotational power and rotational speed. And, but I think like you had mentioned, some people gravitate towards those elements of speed sticks and all this speed training and they don't build they don't build the foundation first and they just jump right to that. They do med ball work and all this different speed stuff. And like you talked about the robustness, sometimes the body can't handle that stress, especially if you're stressing it in a short amount of time and you're increasing the load mm-hmm. or increasing the volume in such a, a small amount of time. So I think, you know, the reason why we, we started this podcast was to show people training can go a long way in enhancing a lot of these qualities. But again, it's the consistency behind it that you need to really kind of emphasize and focus on to make sure that you can then handle the speed sticks. You can then handle the med ball work and really, really kind of enhance some of the stuff you want to do from the golf standpoint. Yeah, it's that saying you hear all the time that's like trying to shoot a cannon out of a canoe. If Yes, the speed sticks, if it's the only thing you're doing, you're going to get faster most likely. They're pretty effective. But yeah, if you're adding speed to a body that's not ready to deal with that stress, it's probably not going to do you any good in the long run. And then building up that kind of engine, the strength and power that uh, that's going to allow you to get more out of that kind of golf specific uh, speed work than if you didn't do that as well so yeah it's building that entire base and and there's so many benefits to training beyond the golf specific performance like i mean i tell people even if your club head speed did not move at all um the health and robustness benefits of lower risk injury better health all around it's it's going to be worth it anyways and then the, the golf specific stuff is just a benefit on top of that yeah, and you look at the sport of golf that can be played across a lifespan. Like, yes, if you're if you're in the moment, if you're playing college golf, or you're playing you know competitively, professionally, whatever it may be, yes, understand that you want to know how to best improve at this point in time. But you also need to look at the long term, right? If you, if you want to play this sport that you can play for an extended amount of time, then you, st- you need to be able to play and not be kind of you know sent to my physical therapy office or to you with regards to training, right? So we want to make sure that we understand the long game, and you know as much as we want to improve performance if we're playing competitively we still need to understand you know your body can only handle so much if you're if you're not prepared for some certain things right so again building that robustness building some of that what we call capacity in the body is a huge aspect that i think has a tendency to fall by the wayside when it comes to looking for those you know results too quickly yeah and if you look at the research we have on injuries in golf the especially at the competitive level it's almost entirely overuse related so it's kind of at some point that stress is going to tip over and and that's when you see these golfers getting hurt. Maybe they're 30 years old because they've accumulated 15, 20 years of thousands of balls per week. And eventually it just kind of tips over. So building kind of that bigger capacity to work from can allow you to practice more and for longer and hopefully continue to play and practice, hopefully in, in as long as you would ever want to, even right. after your competitive days. Yeah. Um, and that alone makes it worth it without even considering the performance benefits. Yeah. And I think, you know, we always kind of tell our clients that come in to see us like, you know, if the, the stress that you're applying to the body exceeds what the body can handle, usually that's when you start to see things become a little more sensitive or you're starting to see some of these nagging things kind of creep up. Right. So, again, I think what we're talking about is in using fitness and using strength and conditioning as a means to kind of build up that engine like we're talking about, build the foundation so that those repetitive stress injuries, like you had mentioned, don't become a thing that all of a sudden hangs with you for the whole season or hangs on for you for months, years, whatever it may be. Like you want to try and kind of nip that in the butt as fast as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's do this. Let's kind of dive a little bit more into maybe what you're seeing from the research standpoint. So 
when it comes to golfers and we talk about performance, right? And again, performance can mean a, a number of different things, but maybe let's talk about maybe the physical qualities of, of performance there. You know, what are you seeing from the research in terms of, you know, what stands out most to you when it comes to, hey, I'm looking at this stuff and this is what's going to really translate to the golfer in terms of improving their performance, whether that's hitting the ball further, whether that's speed, whatever it may be. And then maybe on, on the second question is, what are you doing to you then utilize that research to maybe kind of then apply it to, let's say, the, your, the team that you're coaching at UNC Greensboro? Yeah, so in terms of the physical side of things, most of the research is focused on club head speed, ball speed, distance. And one, because it's probably the most likely performance area we're going to hit. Like, there's probably not much reason to think we're going to improve your chipping or your putting dramatically. <laughs> right. um, maybe some of the secondary benefits of being able to practice longer and right. that'll, that'll have some long-term benefits. But sure. most of our emphasis is on hitting it further from a strength and power side in terms of performance. And then two, it's just really hard to like research overall golf performance over time. It's, it's much easier to take something simple like club head speed and, yeah. and see if the training transfers to that. Right. But we know that club head speed, uh, as long as all things else stay constant, you're going to hit it further. And then hitting it further is a big predictor of, of performance on par fours and par fives because it allows for easier approach shots, which the approach shots then allow you easier uh, chips and putts, and, and it just works its way down the bag. Right. In terms of research, so I've kind of focused on three different areas recently, which is the biomechanics of the swing. Like, does it make sense given the biomechanics of the golf swing? Right. The all the research on the correlations. So how, what types of relationships do we see between different attributes and club head speed or ball uh, speed? And then finally, the experimental research. When we improve or target one of these areas, what happens to club head speed? Okay. Uh, and a few general trends emerge across all of those. And, and probably the best evidence from a physical perspective is the ability to produce vertical force. So during the golf swing, really fast swingers tend to use the ground really well. And from a physical perspective, we see that squat strength, really lower body strength, um, and then the ability to produce a lot of power. So we usually measure this with some sort of jump task, power or impulse during a jump task. Those correlate really strongly and really consistently with club head speed and ball speed. From there, then you see upper body strength and power. Usually it's the chest one, because it's just bench press and and seated medicine ball throws are commonly used in research. And two, because those muscles are really involved in the downswing of the actual golf swing. And so we see bench press, you probably need to be at least somewhat strong uh, in terms of chest strength or upper body strength, and then working on powers. They measure this with sitting on a bench and how far, how fast can you throw a medicine ball with like a chest pass. The third one that's super consistent, which is obvious with the golf swing, is rotational power. So obviously, it's a rotational activity. So golfers that tend to be able to rotate more powerfully tend to swing faster as well. And then there's some other things here or there. Like you probably need to have, uh, there's probably a minimum amount of flexibility you need in different areas of the body that can impede distance. Grip strength has had some correlations. Things like body mass being a little heavier tends to uh, be a slight advantage though we we know examples like rory where if you're really strong in other areas you don't have to be a big massive guy but if you look at like the long drive guys they're all big muscular Uh, when you're trying to maximize distance that could be be a help and from there it's like all right we can identify these general qualities we're looking for i've been trying to get some data on our college guys where are they strong where are they weak and then hopefully we can 
prioritize uh, your training and, and kind of give you the, the biggest bang for your buck. Nice. That's, I mean, and I think when it comes to club at speed, you know, people think they just need to work on rotational power. But when you talk about that vertical force production, that vertical power is something that I think has a tendency to maybe, I guess, maybe not be overly familiar to maybe the general public. Like when you talk about vertical force production, right. And being able to, like you talked about, use the ground really well to your advantage and put force through the ground. Right. I think that's a huge key component that I think a lot of people have a tendency to kind of miss when it comes to the golf swing and how to improve club head speed. So that's really cool how you can kind of, you know, kind of break it down, look at some of these physical qualities or traits and figure out, hey, what can we do to enhance these things? Because this is not what we know currently, right? And we say currently because research is always changing and it's always evolving, right? But, you know, what can we do to kind of enhance some of the qualities that maybe you're lagging in a little bit to help improve just from the fitness side of it to improve your ability to potentially hit the ball further, a higher club at speed or whatever it may be? Yeah. And from there, then it's like tracking these things over time. And, and so if you're getting stronger in the squat, and, but your club head speed's not moving, then maybe it's time to focus on more explosiveness from the lower body. And, and so using kind of very simple data and just tracking it over yeah. time can be really useful and figuring out what's actually transferring to better performance. That's awesome. So let's do this. Let me, let's me kind of transition to uh, Alex, the coach, right? So um, we talk about, cause again, you know, we have, we, we kind of have a mixed bag in terms of who kind of comes on the show here. So maybe kind of highlight some of the things, you know, you, know, you see maybe golfers, you know, playing at a collegiate level, maybe kind of struggle with when you're talking about you, you know, being a mentor to these guys and trying to coach them up. But what are some things that maybe you see golfers struggle with that are maybe on the younger side and trying to play at the collegiate level? Yeah, I'm really lucky in that our guys right now are, are really good in terms of not only skill level, but they're, they're disciplined. And so even like my, my small suggestions, they've been great about it. Like yeah. we'd have, we developed a dynamic warm up because that's one thing it's, it's crazy. It's one of the easiest things you can do to get such widespread benefits to performance uh, in golf, but so few golfers do it. It's like the warm up tends to be a couple quick stretches and then start right. sw- swinging away if not. Right. Right. So that was the first thing I did when Coach Stewart brought me on board was I worked with a strength coach, like let's build them a dynamic warm up that they can do on the range before practice sessions. And that doesn't take long so that they don't get fed up with it and they'll actually do it. And right. they've been great about that. Uh, like one like simple thing is, is just planning ahead in terms of what you're going to eat during rounds. Um, yeah. So from a nutrition standpoint, college tournaments, like some of them, they have excellent food. Uh, choices they they go all out and providing you all this uh, different fruits and whatever you'd want to eat on the round and others they maybe have a few candy bars laying around <laughs> right, or right. something and that's about it yeah so even just like all right maybe they have great options but just in case let's pack some options yeah. for you and and know like all right around hole five I'm gonna have this banana and yeah. just ha- have a plan ahead of time and and they've been great about that and then one thing that Coach Stewart actually did, which I was going to suggest anyways, was college golf is like, usually the golf team gets stuck with like the 5 a.m. workout slot in the way. Yeah, right. And you're already practicing so much. You're traveling a ton. Like right. I always found that halfway through the season, I was worn down. So we were able to get the guys to start working out at like nine. So just get a little more sleep. More sleep, sure. And, and that alone has been, I think, really helpful and, and just trying to do whatever we can where they recover properly because i mean college players are not 
going to go to bed at 9 p.m. Right. So if right. it means they can sleep in a little bit longer, even those little simple things are, are huge. And a lot of my advice is just very, very simple, but just if you do a lot of the little things well, it adds up over time. Yeah. And I think providing some framework for them gives them an opportunity to try and kind of see that out and, and be more consistent with that too. I think, you know, going back to the whole dynamic warm-up, I, I think <laughs> There's this stigma about warming up, right? Like, and I'm sure you've seen it too. Like you're maybe kind of maybe behind and you're rushing to get to the, the first tee box. And, you know, you don't want to be that guy, right? You don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, I'm going to warm up first before I swing, right? And, but I think, like you said, there are widespread benefits to a dynamic warm up before you swing. So, you know, maybe to the listeners who are thinking, yeah, I don't want to be the guy that warms up. Maybe you should. And I think it'll actually improve your performance pretty, pretty, uh, probably pretty widespread when you talk about that. Yeah, that's probably the biggest barrier I see, especially with recreational golfers yes. that, I mean, they're, they're not trying to be the one person out there with resistance bands and doing squats and lunges and um, the college guys, even in college tournaments, like when I was playing, very few people were out on the range doing it. Still at that point, it was kind of taboo. Huh. Um, but you would see a lot of the European players who I think were a little ahead of the game. They'd sure. sneak, they'd sneak into the clubhouse and they'd have their resistance bands and they'd be doing a, a, a pretty solid dynamic warm-up. But yeah. it's getting to the point where at college tournaments, you're seeing more and more people out on the range. Uh, but yeah, with recreational golfers, a lot of the <laughs> advice I give is you know, do it at home. If you have right. a short drive, do it right. in the clubhouse or in the gym beforehand if, yeah. if you don't want to be out on the range in front of your buddies. <laughs> right. Um, Last thing you want to do is be late and then all of a sudden do a 15-minute dynamic warm-up. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think if more people did it, they would realize how much it helps and then it would become more of a regular thing where it's not really looked down upon like it is no sometimes in, in recreational golf <laughs> absolutely well, let's do this let's start transition to our what's in the bag segment so obviously you're playing collegiate golf i'm sure you, you you're well versed in terms of club selection and, and things like that so maybe kind of tell the listeners what you've got in the bag and what you're using right now yeah i'm not using them as much as i'd like to right i'm now, sure but, um yeah so I've kind of stuck with my clubs from college mostly because I can't afford anything better than what they gave me. So I'm going to use them until, uh, until they give out, but we were lucky to be sponsored by Bridgestone golf at the time. Oh, nice. So my irons are, I think they're the J 40 blades, which is, I mean, they're a few years old now, but so uh, irons wedges are Bridgestone. And then we had TaylorMade come on board and give us drivers and three woods my junior or senior year. So I've got the R15, oh, nice. which got fitted by the tour van. So I'm never going to do better than that. So I'm, right. like, I'm just going to stick with that for now. <laughs> yeah. So I've Bridgestone pretty much through the bag, except for driver three wood TaylorMade. And then I switched back and forth between a Scotty Cameron putter. And, and I have my old putter from junior golf, which was a yes putter. I don't know if those are still around, um, <laughs> but I, I loved that thing. I'll probably put it cool. back in the bag when I start playing more. <laughs> so tell me, you know, again, when, you know, again, at the collegiate level, when you talk about, you know, Bridgestone sponsors, would they provide the clubs for the players? How, how, are the, how does that work? How, how does that look? Yeah. So generally like at our home tournament, which they sponsored, they bring the tour van out there and, and they'd fit all of us for, for a set of clubs. And, I think my first year they gave us a discount on them and then they eventually were providing us clubs. And, and a big part of it was our, our university had a deal where we had to have a certain number of golfers using their golf ball because Bridgestone is big on their golf ball more than anything sure. else. Sure. So as long as we were doing that and then they could sponsor our home tournament, we did get access to clubs, which sure. isn't the case at all universities, but yes. we, were, we were really lucky to, 
to have that setup. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great setup. <clears throat> All right, so let's do this. Let's do our shotgun round. So our shotgun round is where we're going to ask you a number of different questions. You're just going to try to answer as quickly as you can without really thinking much about it. All right. All right. All right. Favorite golfer for you. So I love watching Rory, but uh, kind of going back to when we were talking about, I know a lot of the guys on tour now, um, Harold Varner, the third, he's another North yeah. Carolina boy. He yeah. is, he's one of my favorite people ever. Um, so nice. he's probably when he's up there, I cheer like crazy. for him. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, how about favorite golf brand? I'll stick with Bridgestone. They've treated me well. So. There you go. <laughs> How about I prefer drink or snack while you're playing or while you're coaching? Probably different when I was playing. I was a little healthier. Um, at least tried to be. <laughs> right. Uh, now it's probably a beer. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'd say probably what I try to do would be – I was big on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That yeah, was a big one. one for me. And then I usually watered down Gatorade. I didn't like the, the full sugary Gatorade. So I, especially during the summer, I'd, I'd water down a little bit of Gatorade and that was my go-to. Nice. All right. So if we're talking beer, what what, what are your go-to now then? (laughs) I'm from Wisconsin originally. So my, my favorite golf beer is Miller Lite for sure. (laughs) I've I've become a little bit more of a a craft beer snob recently. (laughs) That's good. But sometimes you need to go back to old reliable. (laughs) That's right. All right. How about a par three or par five for you? Par five. I was never very good at par threes. (laughs) How about cart or walk? Usually walk, but uh, if it's an empty course, I like to play fast. So uh, if no one's out there, then I'll grab a cart and try to play in two and a half hours or something. Maximize your time. Why not, right? Yep. How about uh, Caddyshack or Happy Gilmore? Probably Happy Gilmore, but I love both of them. I grew up on Happy Gilmore. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to, you know. (laughs) Uh, Favorite golf memory for you? Ooh, this is tough. I'm going to go with I, my best round ever, which I broke the course record at my, the course I grew up playing in high school. Nice. I also had a hole in one on, on one of the par threes out there. So having a hole in one and a course record in the same day is pretty tough that's, to beat. That's a, that's a tough day to beat, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't choose par three then. You just hit a whole lot of par three there. Yeah, I've had a, a few good par threes and then a lot of bad ones. I guess <laughs> uh, bad outweighs the good. All right, so to wrap up this uh, segment, who's someone maybe you'd recommend we reach out to be a guest on the show? So I'm a big fan of what the guys at the uh, European Tour Performance Institute are doing. Um, so any of those guys, I, I talk with Will Wayland a lot, who's oh, one yeah. of their strength and conditioning coaches. He's, he's awesome. Uh, Simon Brarley does some work with them as well. Uh, on the physio side, Nigel and Dan Coughlin, they're both, both awesome. So any of those guys, they would be really great for kind of the team-based approach. Sure. Um, Cause they've got a really good system there in terms of strength coaches. I, I've, I would recommend Nick Buckin as well. Um, okay. Really good coach out of England as well. Cool. We'll have to maybe kind of, maybe we'll do it after, after we are done recording, we can kind of talk about trying to maybe reach out to them and see what we can do to get them on the show. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. So let's do this, you know, for, for some final words of wisdom from you, Alex, you know, for someone to kind of look improve their overall performance, you know, and obviously maybe kind of looking at some of the, the research we kind of talked about. I mean, where, where's a good place to start for people that maybe like, hey, I'm not exactly sure what to do. I'm not very well versed in fitness or training. Where should they start and, and, and how should they best go about doing it? Yeah, in terms of the fitness, the good news is a lot of the qualities that correlate well with club head speed are, are pretty general strength, power, and then, yeah, apply some golf specific and rotational stuff as well. But if you don't know how to lift, find a coach that can help you with that. And then just focus on being consistent with getting strong and powerful over time. That's a great place to start. It doesn't need to be anything fancy to get benefits from a health, robustness, and performance side, especially if you're new to training. 
Uh, and then a lot of the little things, kind of the short-term stuff, like prioritize sleep before important rounds, do a dynamic warm-up of some sort before you play, even if it's a quick four or five-minute warm-up. Yeah. Have a plan for what you're going to do in terms of eating and staying hydrated on the course. And none of those things individually are very difficult, but yeah. if you can turn those into habits, uh, it's going to pay off. That's awesome. Those are, those are great. That's great advice. And you know, what we'll do is, you know, I think a lot of times too, finding a coach who understands the, the movements of golf, right? Now, not necessarily to try and program, program that into your strength and conditioning program, but just understands the whole idea of what golf and the demands of the sport kind of brings upon with it. I think that's important to find as well, where yes, anyone can make you strong. Anyone can make you sweat or exercise, right? But you know, I think, you know, the, the good coaches and the good trainers have a tendency to kind of be a little bit more, you know, wide view to understand what the demands of the golf are and then hopefully bring that into your program so that, again, like you said, if you're not very well versed in training, I think anything you do at that point in time is going to help improve some sort of quality, right? So, you know, just making sure that we can kind of prioritize, hey, understanding, taking care of your body, understanding the recovery, like we talked about with regards to sleep, that can go a long way in helping improve some of those performance enhancers that we're kind of talking about. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think a sign of a great coach is not necessarily that they had to be a great golfer themselves, but they can step back if and kind of identify what a golfer needs, what will translate uh, to better performance and health long-term, and then kind of design a program focused on that. Um, so that's, that's a great piece of advice there. That's awesome. So Alex, you know, one, we would just want to thank you for your time. You know, I know your time is valuable and you've, you've got a lot of studying to kind of do, but um, for those who maybe want to learn more about what you're doing or maybe want to reach out, I mean, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, some, I'm most active on Twitter and, and more so Instagram now. But on, on Twitter, it's at Alex M. Ehlert, my last name. Um, and then on Instagram, it's at golf underscore physiologist. So that's where I post most of uh, my stuff. And I'm pretty responsive if people have questions. Uh, they can DM me or whatever, and I'll try to get back to them. Yeah, and I'll attest to you know, Alex's social media content. It's phenomenal stuff. It really is. And I think the, the way he applies it and the way he summarizes how best to kind of go about doing things when it comes to improving strength or improving power or maybe just kind of debunking some of the stuff that's in the golf realm, uh, I think that goes a long way in helping people understand, you know, getting rid of the fluff and focusing on what really kind of needs to happen in, towards, in terms of people trying to get better. Appreciate that. You got it, man. So what we'll do is we'll put Alex's uh, contact information in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to them, that'll be there. Uh, guys, thanks so much for listening to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. And we'll catch you on the next time. Alex, thanks again so much. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much again for listening to this week's episode of the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. If you enjoy the content of this show, we would love it if you would leave an iTunes review to help us grow and expand our ability to provide you with the golf information you are seeking. If you're listening to this show and are dealing with aches, pains, or issues from golf that haven't been resolved, or you're not exactly sure where to turn, then let us know how we can help. Whether you are local or not, you can work directly with us through our pain-free golf performance program, which is completely virtual and online. This program is customized to you and your goals of playing your best golf yet. We would assess how well you move to give us a baseline of what you can do, and then based on that assessment, come up with a training program best suited for you. We are offering a special podcast promotion, which gives you access to our program at a reduced rate. You can inquire by going to manaperformancetherapy.com forward slash pain-free golf. Again, mana is spelled M-A-N-A. So it's manaperformancetherapy.com forward slash pain-free golf and use the promo code podcast when inquiring so we can help you feel better and play better golf. Be sure to tune into next week's episode and we'll catch you then.